mere hours before being placed upon the cross, Jesus Christ stood before Pontius Pilate. And he proclaimed that he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. To which Pilate mocked, what is truth? The irony of the interaction in John 18.38 is, of course, that Pilate could not see the truth even as truth incarnate stood directly before him. But unfortunately, this question of truth and this quest for truth continues to plague human hearts all throughout history, including recent history. Today, we're in our third week of our series, Keeping Up with the Johnses, where we've been going through the epistles of John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. And today, we're going to consider this very question of truth as we look at 2nd John. Now, some letters in the New Testament are like legitimate, like letters. 2nd John would probably be closer to a postcard. (laughs) Pretty brief. It would likely have fit on one piece of papyrus, which was what they would write on back in the day. And I don't know if the Apostle John who wrote this was trying to save on postage or what, but it's a pretty brief and to-the-point letter. So we're going to go through it in its entirety today. So let's go there now. Second John. If you want to turn with me, you're welcome to. It's also on the screen. To find it, just turn to Revelation and take a left, and you'll find Second John, two small books, three small books later. Hear the word of the Lord. This letter is from John, the elder. I am writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, my dear friends, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Love means doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another, just as you heard from the beginning. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive your full reward. Anyone who wanders away from this teaching has no relationship with God. But anyone who remains in the teaching of Christ has a relationship with both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to your meeting and does not teach the truth about Christ, do not invite that person into your home or give any kind of encouragement. Anyone who encourages such people become a partner in their evil work. I have much more to say to you, but I don't want to do it without, with paper and ink, for I hope to visit you soon and talk with you face to face. Then our joy will be complete. Greetings from the children of your sister, chosen by God. 
This is the word of the Lord as found in 2 John. We give him thanks. 2 John, okay, that was the whole letter. First question is, who is this chosen lady and her children John is writing to? There are two major theories around who it is. One is that it is an actual woman and her family. And the other theory is that it was actually a local congregation and its members. We know the church is referred to as the Bride of Christ. And so it, it, it makes sense. It could be a church referred to as a woman and her children, its members. Now, no one knows for sure. No one knows for sure the actual recipient of this letter. Based on the content, my own personal thought is it seems to me like it would likely have been a church because if you remember the early church, they were all house churches. They, in many senses, were a family that was on mission together. So I see this kind of what it is teaching as possibly a church. But either way, what it teaches remains true, whether it was to a solo family or to a church congregation. And what is at the heart of this letter? Well, John mentions truth five times in the first four verses of a 13-verse letter. That's a whole lot of times. You know when there's repetition in the Bible, we have to pay attention. Truth is the central theme of 2 John. And within this letter, John is calling us to know the truth, to walk in the truth, and to protect the truth. And that's what we're talking about this morning. First, to know the truth. What is truth? Pontius Pilate asked, and we are asking, what is truth? Truth is found in God alone. As it says in Isaiah, God is the God of truth. And all of history proves this reality. What God promised, he fulfilled. What he foretold, he accomplished. His actions validates his words. And his words perfectly reveal his holiness, his goodness, his trustworthiness, and his truth. See, God is true. And when God revealed himself, he inspired and he authored a true book, his Bible. As it says in the Psalms, God's law and commandments are true. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth. You add up everything that God has ever said, and it is all true. It is truth. Imagine if someone added up every word you've ever said and said, Okay, what is the general common denominator theme here? That's a little scary, right? It's like, I have no idea what that would be. But for God, it's truth. Psalm 12, verse 6 says that God's word, it is pure and it is eternal. His word is his word and it stands forever. And then again in the Psalms, every word of God proves true. Have any of you never lied? Anybody? Hands up. Oh. I saw a couple hands, some of you who haven't lied. Well, now you have, so welcome to the club. Joining the rest of us mere mortals who have lied. <laughs> Every word of God proves true. We can have confidence that there is absolute truth. And it is found in the one true God. It is found in his character, his faithfulness, in history, his perfect track record. 
we can have confidence that his word, the Bible, is true in all its accounts and all it intends to teach. And if we have that confidence, which we do, that truth is found in the incarnate word of Jesus Christ. Because if God's word is true, and Jesus Christ is the living word, then Jesus Christ is truth incarnate. He is truth in flesh form. He is a living truth. And you don't have to take my word for it because Jesus proclaimed himself saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if that's not enough, then consider what he says in John 16, where he tells us that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune, one true God, is the spirit of truth which lives in all who believe. And as John says here in the first part of his letter, will live with us and be with us forever. And that same spirit of truth enables us to discern truth, to discern right from wrong, good from evil, truth from falsehood. So what is truth? Well, the triune God and his word and his ways our truth. And whatever or whoever contradicts or opposes him is false, deceptive, and dangerous. That's why it is so important for us as people of God to know the truth as it is found in God. The problem is, it's in our human nature to base our truth on our feelings. Oof. Think about it. We choose to believe a lot of things simply because sometimes it's too difficult or hard or inconvenient or challenging to accept the truth. People were most likely to make a moral and an ethical decision on the basis of whatever feels right or comfortable in any given situation. And that should give us pause. But even more so, the personal preference sometimes reigns supreme. You maybe have heard it said where someone will say, well, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. But how can there be more than one truth? How can that be? So truth is whatever we want it to be. That doesn't sit well with me. That doesn't make sense to me. And then what else do we got? But the culture is trying to define truth of John, the culture of John's time, and also ours. And what does culture do? But it denies truth. It goes so far to say there is no ultimate truth or reality. It shifts, it moves, and it molds with the ages. And all of that reveals for us the importance of Jesus followers learning how to discern truth from error. It is not found in the news. Whether you watch CNN or Fox News, whatever your flavor of the day is, it is not found on Facebook. It is not found from the experts on YouTube. It's not found in the changing standards of our culture. It's not found in our feelings. It's not found in our personal preferences. Truth is found in God alone. To know the truth is to know Jesus Christ. 
So that's our question. Do you know the truth? Do you know the living word? Are you seeking God and his word and his way as the basis of your belief? Or are you settling for something of lesser stuff? Go for the truth. Go for Jesus Christ. Seek him and his ways as the foundation of all you believe. But we also know that knowing is not enough. God didn't call us just to have a database of truth. He called us to walk in the truth. God continuously calls his people to live it out. To walk in the truth. This is going to sound really lame. I admit it at the beginning because it's cheesy and it's lame, but I'm saying it anyway. I've been diving back into some 80s and 90s rock, okay? Meg's been like, what is going on with Kevin? Is this like a, like a, a early midlife crisis? <laughs> it's not. I've just been enjoying some 80s and 90s rock again. And there's a song by Aerosmith, Walk This Way, right? Man, that guitar riff, look out. And as I'm listening to it, walk this way. Yeah, God's calling us to walk the way, right? Walk the way. There you go. I did it. Could help myself. This is why I'm not a professional musician or comedian. <laughs> to walk the way. That is what we're called to do, right? We walk the way by knowing Jesus. By living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, by following his way and his path, taking what we know and put it into action. John spends a lot of time talking about this too. He talked about it in 1 John, you may remember. He talks about it here in 2 John. Just in verse 4, he says, How happy I was to meet some of your children and find what? That they were living according to the truth. Oh, how happy that made John. You were putting your faith into action just as the Father commanded. I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, we should love one another. It's not a new commandment. It's the one we had from the beginning. And what does he remind us? That love means doing what God in his true word has commanded us. And he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. Last week, we talked all about how God is love and what it means to put our love into action. I mean, consider any type of relationship you have. If you just say that you love this person, you never show them that you love this person, something's seriously wrong there, right? That person's going to start to question and wonder, like, do you actually love me? You never show me. You say it with your words, but you don't show me it. We say we love Jesus— but are we living it out and showing it in our actions? Because if we know God, we've read his word, we've been compelled to give him our life because we believe he is true, that our natural response is to seek to love and live like Jesus and follow in his footsteps to walk in the truth. And we also know this is a, a lifelong process. It's a lifelong journey of following Christ. So last week we had a challenge to turn our I shoulds into I wills. This idea that uh, intentions are not expressing love, only our actions express love. That good intentions don't actually change things, but, but there would be significant kingdom victory if we just 
focused in and turned some of our well-natured, I should do that, I should send that text, I should help that person out, I should introduce myself to that neighbor, and we move them into I wills, and we move them into action. That is a big part of walking in the truth. But there's another side of putting our love into action as well. It's this idea to turn our shouldn'ts into I won'ts. You see, if God is calling us to stop doing things that cause us to live outside of his truth, he's also calling us to stop believing things that fall outside of God's truth. So what are some of those things that we shouldn't do, that we do, that we shouldn't do, that we want to turn into I won'ts? So maybe it should be instead of, I shouldn't spend so much time on Facebook. I won't spend so much time on Facebook. I won't read so much more news than my Bible. I won't have that extra drink. I won't say that thing about that person. I won't tell that lie. I won't look at that site. I won't spend that money. What would it look like if we intentionally combated those things that live outside of God's truth from our life and we intentionally combated the sin that seeks to destroy by standing on God's truth and proclaiming, not today, I won't. Imagine the net gain if we intentionally took each day just three I shoulds into I wills and three I shouldn'ts into I won'ts. Imagine the net gain if we all committed to that. That is the life of a Christian. You've heard this since day one. This is what we're called to do. But it's a reminder of what it means to walk in the truth. So what one is it for you? What shouldn't you do that you maybe been doing? That today you're putting your foot in the ground once more on God's true word saying, Today I won't. Spirit, help me. Guide me. Empower me to fight this. Know the truth. Walk in the truth. And the final one is to protect the truth. John talks of the deceivers that are in this world. In John's day, what he is, what he is arguing against here and that he is claiming as false teaching was this idea of Gnosticism. It was this, this, this false teaching that came out and the idea of Gnosticism was that, that things that are of the spirit are pure and good and holy, but things that are made up of matter are not. And because of that, this idea that God, that Jesus was fully divine and fully man, well, he couldn't of Ben, because matter, fully man, is not holy. And so they were saying that, yeah, that, that's not how this works. That's not who Jesus is. So he's saying those are lies. And those were lies that were spreading. And John is saying we need to put our foot down and speak out and against this because that is not true. That is not found in God. And we know that's just one falsehood, right? There are thousands, millions, endless interpretations that are false that are swarming around us today. But what do we know? We know that there is one ultimate deceiver, and that is Satan. Satan is called, in God's true word, the father of lies. And the lies of the enemy, ooh, they are sweet. They are appealing, they're captivating, right? 
Because the lies of the enemy speak directly to our selfish desires. And the lies of the enemy often target our weakest areas where our defenses are down and our desires run high. Just consider a few biblical examples. Consider Adam and Eve. Oh, you want to be like God. What about Abraham and Sarah with their longing for a child? So they try to take matters in their own hands. Or David and his lust. Or Judas and his lust for coin. Satan is the father of lies. Every single thing he does is to seek to destroy, to deceive, to take us away from God, who is the truth. Jesus, if he is the way, Satan's trying to lead us astray. If Jesus is the truth, Satan is only going to speak in lies. If Jesus is life, Satan brings only death. There is an absolute truth. It is found in God alone. And his truth brings life. It brings freedom. It brings freedom and victory and peace and joy. Just as John says in his letter, we must do all things with love, but we do not encourage or support things that are not grounded in God's true word. We do not love things that are evil. We do not love things that stand outside God's truth. We can love the sinner while hating the sin. That is exactly what Jesus did, and he calls us to it as well. And the deception of Satan and of the world, he will seek to channel our fight to the wrong places, to distract us. You know, like uh, any war movie, right? Or anything, or uh, Lord of the Rings, something like that. You should watch it, it's great. They try to make a diversion, right? And they let's have this diversion to take the attention from the enemy away from our actual goal, which is this thing over here, right? That's a diversion. Satan constantly is trying to divert our attention to fight the wrong battles so that he can sneak in and get us where he wants us. We're standing today to say, not today. We will be defenders and protectors of the truth. Problem is, if the lies of the enemy are appealing, we often end up expending a great amount of our energy defending lies and lesser truths in the wrong places, not the true word of God. Or even more so, we may say and do nothing because we're afraid of upsetting the apple cart. We don't want to cause dissension or conflict, so we might not say anything, or we might not think it's really our fight, but it is. Edmund Burke once said, and perhaps you've heard this quote before, all that is required for deception to triumph is for the people of the truth to do nothing. But John here, Jesus elsewhere, calls us to protect the truth. So how do we do that? If you're like me, images of you like standing on a street corner with a megaphone might come to mind. That doesn't seem right. Or maybe I'll post something on Facebook. I'll get it out there. I'm going to talk it over with my friends who actually all their opinions are pretty much the same as mine. 
the way we often go about these things, protecting the truth, has the same effectiveness as screaming into the void or into an echo chamber and expecting to hear something different come back. It's actually rather simple to protect the truth. We first have to know the truth. We can't protect what we don't know and that we don't know well. So we have to draw close to God. Because if we know God, then we're going to be walking in the truth. Because we believe that's what his word calls us to. You can't protect what you're not willing to live out. You've got to walk the walk, or else your talk is just useless talk. Because how we live, it matters more than what we say. We can protect the truth by living as a witness to the truth. We can talk about what God has done in our lives. We often think, does this mean I have to get into like a debate with someone about this? Some of us love to debate and some of us hate it. I hate it. Oh, I hate it. It's just not where I live, right? I get scared and I'm like, You're, you seem smarter than me. I can't, can't fight against you. But what I've learned is if someone's come at me with like all these theological ideas and thoughts and they're, I often say, well, I want to experience just what I've experienced in my own life from my own experience based on what I understand God's word to be. And that often, it's hard. You can't refute someone's lived experience. So it's a helpful way for me to point to the truth. Because what we learn is if we're walking in the truth, we learn that we are walking in love. Meaning that to protect the truth, we're doing it with a heavy dose of grace. Heavy dose of grace. As John says in verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace which come from God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, he will continue to be with us who live in what? Truth and love. And you've heard that before, this idea of an equal balance of grace and truth. Jesus Christ can do it perfectly. We can grow into it as best as we are able to balance truth and love. You can't have one without the other. And love and truth, it is best expressed in relationship. So to protect the truth, I'm not telling you to go out on a street corner. You can if that's where you feel called, but I don't, it's more that I'm encouraging you to don't support the sins of the world or the beliefs or behaviors that are found outside of God's truth. To call those things out as sin but to draw close to others in relationship, just like Jesus did. Just like this letter oozes of a relationship because John is so eager to talk to them in person. And I don't want to spend time writing this in a letter or on a Facebook post. I want to talk to you face to face so we can have a heart to heart and compare what we think about this together. Because proximity, it increases our understanding. It allows us to express grace. It allows for two-way communication and to express truth and grace, to give us open hearts to also receive the truth and love. If you want to protect the truth, you've got to know the truth, to walk in the truth. And then like God, we've got to close the gap to lead with love. Just as God closed the gap to come near to us in his love, to bring his truth, he came near to relate to us, to understand and love us, and to guide us forward in his truth and grace. We are called to do the same. To enter into relationship, not just with God, but with others. To love God and love neighbors. But also to be prepared to step forward and stand out. Last week, we remembered that 
we respond to hate with love, but often the world will respond to love with hate. But we respond with love anyway. And he may call us to proclaim what we believe, to know what we believe, to live what we believe, and say what we believe, because we are seeking to please the Father above all else. So we will be people who know the truth, who walk in the truth, and also protect the truth as we love God and love neighbor. May we be people who close the gap, who we seek God and his ways above all else and live out our faith as we are getting closer to God and guiding as he leads. May it be so for all of us today. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so grateful to be called your children, whom you see and you know and you love. Children that you have called to continue your very ministry, your ministry of protecting the truth and extending your love. Because God, we know that in all your way, all your ways are loving and just and good. So we long to point people to that truth, Lord. We long to point people to the truth that you are the one true God. Salvation is found in you alone. And that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That your spirit dwells within us and guides us, encourages us, empowers us, and helps us understand your truth. God, we pray that you embolden us today to know your truth to live out your truth, and to protect your truth. Pray that you reveal to us those things that distract us and see the ways the enemy seeks a foothold, God. We pray not today. That we, we may turn some of our shouldn'ts into I won'ts. That we may claim this victory in the power of Jesus' name today, Lord, and see your kingdom break through in our lives and in our community a little bit more here and now. We thank you, God, for your goodness, for all the blessings you've given us and what you have called us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, saying, Amen.